today, but we're going to do a quick review um, to get us up to speed with all that's been going on. Okay, so in this ongoing study through the book of Joshua, we're calling this um, A Life Lived for God. In this study, what's happened is Joshua and the Israelites have gone into Canaan. And in, this, in, this, uh, in their striving or desire to, to conquer uh, this land that God's given them, what happens is they've suffered this terrible defeat. They were beaten by a little insignificant city titled Ai. Now, Ai was following an amazing victory. They had this incredible victory over a city called Jericho, which is one of the most uh, fortified cities in the entire land. So they just had that wonderful victory, and now they've been defeated by this little city. So to say they're perplexed is, is an understatement. They are shocked by this. And not only are they shocked by it, but it actually takes them into a place of fear and doubt. And what we find is the fact that the reason why they were defeated is because of hidden sin. And we've been addressing this over the last few weeks. What they found was, or they don't know, but there was a man by the name of Achan. Achan was one of the Israelite soldiers. Now, God had warned them when they went to Jericho. He said, do not take of the accursed thing. The accursed thing was anything of the valuables. They weren't to touch any of the riches. Achan just couldn't keep his grubby little fingers off some stuff. So he took it for himself. Because of that, God has taken his hand of blessing off of them. Now, what's happened is because of this, now they are, they're suffering. They've just had that defeat. What's interesting to take note of is the fact that Joshua up to this point and the people have no clue. They do not know that this has happened. Only God and Achan know. All they know is that their guaranteed victory from God was that they were going to win seems to be invalid because they've just suffered this terrible loss. Recognize up to this point, after the success at Jericho, what happened was they stopped depending upon God Joshua stopped listening to God. He stopped allowing God to guide them. So what we find is the fact that because of this hidden sin and the defeat that they have, their ignorance of the sin is because of their own choice. They did not turn to God, and because they did not turn to God, he did not reveal that sin. So what we found last week, our message was called Man's Denial versus God's Revelation. This is a three-part message. Today's part two. I thought it was going to be two, but I just couldn't do it. It would have been, we'd been here about two hours. So I decided to cut in half. Um, but what we're going to look at today is what last week what we looked at, and to get, make sure we're all up to speed because it's going to make, it's important. All three parts need to make sense to you. Joshua, what's happened to him is that during this time, we're dealing with his denial. We're learning from Joshua actually what not to do. And we learned three different things in the way that he handled this thing incorrectly. First thing we saw was the fact that Joshua, literally in the beginning of this, now we saw in verse number six of Joshua chapter number seven, we saw in verse number six that Joshua was laying on the ground before the ark of God. He put dust on his head. And here he is face down. Now this is supposed to be done in humility and in submission. But what we find is the fact that his is done in fear and desperation. His is emotionally driven. He's consumed by what's going on. And what happens because of the fact that he's consumed with emotions, we learn the very first thing, which is he did that we shouldn't do, which is shift blame. Shift blame. He's literally not looking at himself, not realizing the fact that, hey, it could be with him, not realizing that he cut off communication from God, that he's not depending upon the Lord. He starts to realize and say, you know what, hey, something's going on here. It's my circumstances, or maybe it's just the cowardice of my men. He said this in Joshua chapter 7, verse 8. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? Okay, because he's not willing to look at himself as a potential for the issue. He's blindly pointing fingers looking for somebody that he can blame. And we talked about the fact that you and I have a tendency to not want to deal with the issues in our own hearts, our own failures. It's hard to look within and see where it is we fail. And many times we like to point fingers. Why is my relationship falling apart? It's got to be her fault. Right? Who's ever been in a situation right, yet? 
right? We all do this. Children do this. We shift blame. And it's all about not having to deal with the consequences of, of our actions. And what we see here is the fact that our level of dependency upon God, the closer we walk with God, the more, the more, uh, the more communed we are with Him, the more we're willing to own our mistakes. What we're going to find with Joshua is once he gets beyond this time, Joshua's going to be a rock star, man. He is going to do amazing. But right now, he is he's struggling. And the second thing he taught us was not to allow fear to determine our outlook. Now, recognize the fact that his response, everything that he's going through right now is fueled by fear. We can hear it in his voice. Listen to Joshua chapter 7, verse 9 continues. says this, for the Canaanites, Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it. Okay, He's talking as if this is a fact. And shall environ us around, surround us, and cut off our name from the earth. Kill us. He's saying this is a done deal. We're as good as dead. And we talked about the incredible power of fear to influence not only our outlook, but our decision-making process. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being fearful. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a fearful thought. We all had them. You make them every single day. It's not the thought... It's what we do with the thought, okay? Do I recognize the thought? Do I address it and go, you know what? Hey, this is not of God. Or do I fall prey to my, to my fear? 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says this, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Okay? Exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. My knowledge of God is that God can overcome anything, that He's with me no matter what I go through. So the thing that's trying to exalt itself against God is my fear. It's trying to tell me I need to listen to my fear instead of listening to God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, I either confront my fear with the reality of who God is and His promises to me, or I allow my fear to have control. The choice is ours. And this is something that we're going to be repeatedly looking at in this message. Which one is controlling our life? Is it our fear or is it our faith? This is a choice many of us have to make every single day. So when we recognize the fact that here, and, and we talked about it, I gave you an analogy. It's a good one to hold on to. I don't know if, well, I think it's a good one. I like it. <laughs> of your emotions, fear is the weatherman. Okay? He is highly inaccurate yet he's trusted and leaned on every single day, right? That's your fear. So many times our fears are not grounded in truth. So many times our fear are nothing more than things that we imagine could possibly come true. The next thing he taught us was not to, not to blame God. Joshua 7, 9, he said this, And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Jo literally, Joshua's pointing fingers at God. As Joshua attempts to assign guilt to God, Recognize from his current perspective of innocence for himself and his men, he's run out of people to blame. So who else could it possibly be but God? And can I tell you that Christians do this every single day? But not only Christians, everybody does this every single day. We make bad choices in our lives. We live with these terrible circumstances and all these things going on. I go, Why would God allow this? Why would God allow suffering in the world? But remarkably, even though that's what people do to him every single day, God, what does he do? Not only offers to forgive us, but to redeem us unto himself. That is remarkable. And we recognize that and we go, wow. Redeem us unto himself literally by suffering and sacrificing on our behalf. Only God. So we explored man's denial, right? We looked at what that, what that was and we learned some lessons. What we're going to look at today is just two of five points of what God's going to do to redirect Joshua in God's revelation. So this morning he's going to show us, first of all, He's going to reveal false humility 
and then he's going to confront the false narrative in our message this morning titled Man's Denial versus God's Revelation, Part 2. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for, uh, for the word that you've spoken to me. Lord, I know that I have prayed diligently this week. I have studied hard, and Lord, I know that I've asked you to speak to me, and I believe that you have. And uh, Lord, I'm asking now that you would speak through me, that the words that I would share would not be the ones that I would choose. God, if there be something that I would say that is incorrect, God, I pray that you remove it from my mind. Uh, Lord, I pray that today you will receive glory through all that's said, all that's shared. And I pray that, Father, not uh, just that we would be hearers, but Lord, I pray that we would be hearers and then doers of the word. Help us to learn from the valuable lessons learned in Joshua's life. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Joshua 7, verses 8 through 12. Here we go. Um, it says, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon my face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their stuff. Therefore the, enemy, therefore the children, of God, children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed from among you. So as Joshua is laying on his face, complaining to God, pointing fingers at the Lord, and what wilt thou do unto thy great name, where he should be groveling before the Lord, he should be there in abject humility, begging for God to give him insight, as opposed to doing that, his ridiculous pride has him literally challenging God. And we hear that and go, wow, guess what? Many of us have done this. Many of us have been in a place in our life where we find ourselves challenging God. But what's really, really interesting is the fact that when we contrast this to the last time that he was before the Lord, which is back in Joshua chapter number 12, chapter, Joshua 5, 14. This is when the, the man showed up with a sword. It turned out to be the Lord Jesus Christ. He said this in 5, 14. And he said, this is the Lord, Nay, but as captain of the hosts of the Lord, am I now come. That's God. And Joshua says this, And Joshua fell on his face on the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? His heart was desperate to hear from God. Notice he is humble. He's reverent as opposed to being exasperated and frustrated at God. Let's imagine, listen, if you were one of those elders, because when he's laying on the ground with the dust on his head, it's not just him, the elders are there too. Imagine if we're hearing, you're one of those elders, and you're laying there, and Joshua's right beside you, and you hear Joshua running his mouth, saying what he's saying. I don't know about you guys, I'd be like this. <laughs> Waiting for a lightning bolt, I'd be like, Joshua, you're on your own, bro. Hope you make it. Right? We're like, what are you doing, dude? Are you kidding me? And Joshua in this moment recognized the fact that Joshua is it, it's amazing. God will give him remarkable patience, incredible long-suffering of the Lord. He is loving Joshua for who he knows Joshua will be. Not in this moment, but what his future holds. Loving him and the knowledge of who he is. And listen, following the valley of this moment in his faith... And the lessons that he's going to learn, like I said, Joshua is going to kill it. Joshua's going to be on course for the rest of his life. He's not going to miss out. Keep in mind, listen, his failure was not the end of his story. Keep in mind that our failures are not the end of our story. 
If you're dealing with a failure right now, it does not mean that that's the end of your story. What happens to Joshua is he learns from what happens to him. He learns from his failure. He makes adjustments. And what happens? He becomes the man of God that God created him to be. And recognize that when you and I go through adversities, if we'll learn the lessons that God's teaching us in the adversity, he can make us who it is he's shaping us to be. The future holds something positive. God sees something in our life. He created us for a purpose. It's not about existing. It's not about just staying alive. It's not about paying our bills. It's about bringing glory to God through the life that we live. Recognize that every trial and every temptation is an opportunity to strengthen our faith. So many times we miss out on this. Listen, God does not supernaturally overcome our obstacles so that we don't have to deal with adversities. No. He goes through our trials with us. That's the whole point of this thing. He goes through the trial with us to strengthen us. He says, He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He says, no matter where you are, man, no matter how deep and dark and scary it may be, guess what? I'll be with you. Listen to Paul, who may have suffered more than anybody else in the Bible. More trials and tribulations. Listen to what he said in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, wherewith, listen, to be content. I have learned, no matter what happens, to be content. Verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. Listen, he's given the extremes. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In whatever state I find myself, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord in good times and in bad times. I'm going to be content. How about us? Man, when we find ourselves going through the ringer in life, are we content? Or do we just look for people who are willing to listen to our moaning and our groaning of how life is so hard? We feel abandoned. We forget the promises of God. That's Joshua's current state of mind. But listen as Paul continues. Listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians or Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now listen, I can go through anything. Listen, it says, which strengtheneth me, not who. And that's important. Why is that important? Because you know what? If you have any Bible besides the King James Bible, I challenge you, go find any one you possibly can, any translation you can find. You know what it's going to say? Who? Who? Who strengtheneth me, not which. Why is which important? Because guess what? What we're learning in this instance is it's the dependence upon God in the trial that strengthens him. Paul's not lifted out of the trial. God doesn't just take him out and say, I'll go fight the battle for you. Paul, sit on the sidelines. No, Paul's going to go through it. We're going to go through the adversity of life. But it's his presence with us in the midst of the trial. That's where the strengthening comes. It's not the supernatural. God goes, boom, you're Superman in the fight. Nothing can hurt you. No, that's not the way it works. It's adversity strengthens us. It's through experience. Romans 5 verses 3 through 4 says this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. I celebrate my hard times also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. It's challenging our faith that strengthens it. When you go to the gym, if you don't put weight on the bar, you don't get stronger. I don't care how faithful you are, but if you go in there in an empty bar all day long, man, I get to the gym five times a day, four hours. Great, rocking it out. How come you look the same? I don't know, man, but I'm killing it. <laughs> and somebody goes, have you tried weights? Oh, yeah. It's a good idea. And the greater the adversity, guess what? The greater the growth. Same thing with life. God gives physical examples to teach us spiritual, spiritual things. 
God's not going to remove the foes that they're going to face in Canaan. No, they'll all be there. They'll fight every one of them. But God will be with them as long as they'll honor him, as long as they'll keep his commandments. He'll follow them, be with them every step of the way. See, Joshua's failure here and the ensuing lesson that he learned are the instrumental to their success in the future. God's preparing him through the adversity. And sometimes the very failure that you're going through is what God needs to do in your life to show you who it is you're supposed to be, to teach us lessons. When you ride a bike, how many of us remember crashing on our bike when we were learning how to ride? Yes. I always tell the story, my daughter, Taria, where she was doing so good. Got her, she's just, she's killing it. She's just, you go, keep pedaling, keep pedaling, keep pedaling. Right into a mailbox. Boom, straight into it. I'm like, turn, 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 bang, just face right into a mailbox. But you know what she learned? Turning is important. (laughs) Guess what we learn from our failures? That's the point of this thing. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, which is referring to the trial, not Christ. Listen to Jesus' half-brother James. Listen to what he says in James 1, verses 2, 3, 4. Same truth. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You face trials and tribulations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, right? That ye may be perfect. Spiritually, that means mature. Your King James Bible, when it says perfect, it means mature and entire. Notice the last wording, wanting nothing. You know the way to say that? Content. Exactly what Paul just said. Listen, God brings us through trying times, through diverse temptations, not to destroy us, but to strengthen our faith. There's a purpose to it. And listen, the more we remain with the Lord, the more we walk with Him, the more He's going to strengthen us. For you see, it's in this challenging time of failure that Joshua is going to be strengthened, not only individually, but as a leader. He's going to need to be who he needs to be. Learning from the mistakes, making corrections, and going forward. Keep in mind, God's going to confront Joshua because he loves him. He doesn't want him to continue down this road. He's trying to redirect his mindset. He loves him, again, for who he can become, not who he is right here. And can I promise you, that's the truth. It's true of us. Listen, you may not be where you want to be spiritually right now, but I can tell you, God still loves you. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's not dependent upon the person that you are. It's on the fact that he is God. His love does not waver. It does not change. It's called unconditional love. You get it no matter what. When you're doing great, you're getting it. Guess what? When you're in the deepest, darkest pit of sin, you're getting it. He loves you. Praise God. I look at my own life, man. So thankful for that truth. Take note of the fact that Joshua right now is at his lowest spiritual point. He's at his lowest. In a state of (laughs) self-pity, defeat, and pride that he doesn't even see. So here, what's God's going to do? God's going to confront his false humility. Notice what he says in verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Look, Joshua, what you're doing right now is supposed to be in reverence and humility. Literally, you're on your face. Not only did you get on your face, but you put dust on your head. The very picture of humility. And yet, you're blaming me for the mess. You're pointing fingers at me. Stand to your feet. By the way, Joshua, all that you've said has been inaccurate. Everything you've said has not been true. I've not taken and received one prideful word of it because understand what's happened. God's saying this. Joshua's 
physical position does not align with his heart's intention. This is important. Remember this. Listen, his position does not align with his heart's intention. He is professing or putting on a show. He's trying to say, hey, I'm reverent before you, God. I'll even put dirt on my head. Look at what I'm doing. But you see, God sees through the show. Matthew 15, 8 says this. This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, making the show, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. If you were looking, you go, man, listen to that guy's reverence. Listen to the way that guy loves Jesus, doesn't he? But the Lord looks, why the Bible says, man looketh on the outward appearance, God looketh on the heart. God sees past the show. There's no point in it. Guess what? It's a waste of time if we're doing it simply for show. We cannot be like Joshua in this moment. Putting our faith in the fact that we're going to put on this show and that's going to convince us or, or convince God. Many times we do it and we don't realize we're trying to do it to convince ourselves. Oh God, I'm coming to your word. I really want to hear from you. But no, we don't really. We don't really. We're just going there because we know we're supposed to. And we come to God's word with what's supposed humility. But in reality, what we have is mass pride. And we sit down and read the word of God and we get done. And guess what? We get nothing. You ever sit and read and get nothing? Tons of times. I'm sitting, I'm just like, did I read? I feel like I didn't read. I just read. I'm going to go back and read that again because I don't think I, I don't think I saw anything. You ever do that? You read and you're just like, did I actually read that? Because I don't think and nothing went in. It just looks like water off a duck's back. Man, I've been there. And you know, what do you do? You go, you know, I need to check me because something's, something's going on because God's word always speaks. And for me not to receive it, guess what? The problem's with me. It ain't with this. So I need to look here. So when we come to the Bible to validate what we already think. This is such a dangerous thing. The Bible says it's not for, uh, for uh, interpretation. What's the word I'm looking for? Private. private interpretation. The Bible's not for private interpretation. The Bible interprets itself to us. It speaks to us. The Word of God draws us. The Spirit guides us through the Word. What happens when we go to the Word of God to validate what we already believe, we shut off our hearts to what's being said, and we don't hear it. We must allow the Word of God to speak to our hearts, not what we've been taught. So many false teachings in this world. So much stuff that people believe to be true. But we cannot validate in the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak for itself. Don't ask the question, what does it mean? Ask the question, what does it say? When we say, what does it mean? We're taking a private interpretation. We're trying to go, well, I think this means this. You know, every people say this. You know what the Scripture means to me? You know, when I read this, you know what it means to me? Guess what? That's not what it's about. It's about what it's supposed to teach you. We should look into the Word of God, and it should redirect the way we think. And the Word of God screams out, we need to have ears to hear. If we will seek, God will give us truth. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given. That's a promise. It shall be given. Listen, if we want to know God's truth, we just simply need to seek it and we'll find it. Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. God wants us to know the truth. So the way that we approach the Lord is vitally important to our relationship with him. It's vitally important to our heart that our hearts be right. Why are we doing communion this morning? Why are we taking the Lord's Supper? Because guess what? The way we come to God is direly important as a church. Individually, it's important. David modeled for us. We read it last week. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me 
and the way everlasting. Listen, we need to individually and collectively deal with our hearts and make sure that we're coming to God properly. Individually, we should do this every single day. When I spend time in the Word, guess what? It should convict me. It should allow me to spend time where I talk to God and I get these issues of the life of flesh out of me. I want to be right with the Lord. And then as a church, collectively, how do we do it? The Lord's Supper. A service like today where we'll come together. An opportunity for us to remember and honor what God did on that cross. The love He has for us. Notice this. God's not playing games when He talks about our holiness. 1 Peter 1.5 or 1.15 But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. We are to come to God in true humility. We're supposed to come with ears to hear. Right? We're supposed to be on our face seeking Him in order to know His will. Not come to get Him to sign off on our will. Not coming to God with an agenda like Josh was doing here. What we're supposed to do is, man, come to the Lord saying, look, you know what? Show me. Because if we don't come with that right heart, God won't reveal truth to us. And you know what He'll do? Thank God because He loves us, He'll call us on it. Thank God. Who's ever been reproved by the Word of God? Oh, my goodness gracious. If I could make a little, I could be a rich man if I paid myself a nickel for every time. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 6. Notice this. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, okay, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Receiveth, sorry. So we've all been confronted by the word of God. How many of us have ever sat in a message and feel like the preacher was preaching directly to us? Oh, my soul. I can promise you, we have no idea what's going on. We're just preaching what God gives us. But sometimes, you know what? It just seems to land like a ton of bricks right in our lap. And we're like, man, how did he know? No, we have no clue. The Word of God speaks to our hearts. That's what it's designed to do. That's why you should be in the Word every day. That's why you should allow it to work in us. We've got to have ears to hear. Don't come with private interpretation. Let it speak. Because you realize what's happened is Joshua right now, he's being convicted. He's being convicted right now. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? What are you trying to do through this display, Joshua? Who are you trying to fool? Get out of your victim mindset. You've been listening to your voice for too long. You've been listening to the men's voices for too long. You're not hearing my voice. You realize it was before the wall of Jericho even fell. That was the last time he heard from God. Listen to this. Joshua 6, verses 18 and 19. And ye in any wise, this is God, ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed, and ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Foreshadowing perhaps? Was that perhaps a warning? Right? That's the very last thing you heard. But all the silver and the gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that the very last words that he heard were literally a warning about the very thing that is happening right now? But it never crosses Joshua's mind to even consider that that could be a potential issue. You know why? Because he wasn't really listening. He wasn't really listening. Because if he was... When the very first man fell, he'd have said, Whoa, 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 which one of y'all has got a touch of the accursed? Somebody's done something. Got to be that. Because I know I can trust God. I know y'all. We're a bunch of knuckleheads. We're always messing up. It's got to be us. But he doesn't do that. His problem is the fact that he points fingers at the Lord. He cannot see it. You know why? Pride. Pride. Joshua can't see because he's allowed his pride to block him from seeing what should be blatantly obvious. Pride blinds us 
to our own pride. If you tell a prideful person they're prideful, you know what they say? You don't know what you're talking about. Be prideful, shut your mouth. I worked with a pastor who had an unbelievable pride issue. And a lady told him one day, she came in his office, and she's like, you know what you got a problem with? And he said, you tell me. She goes, you're prideful. And he goes, you get out of my office. And he just exploded. And I was like, what in the world? And he came later on a trip. We're on a trip riding together. And he said, can you believe that was said to me? And I was like, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I totally can. He's like, what? He's like, I tell stories about myself, about my failures all the time. I said, yeah, but by the end of the story, somehow you're the hero. And he's like, you know what you're talking and he, he wouldn't talk to me. For like two days, he didn't speak to me. We got on the plane, and he walked about 30 feet in front of me. And when we got, we got to the turnstile to get our luggage, he went to the other side of the turnstile to get his luggage. He wouldn't talk to me. We were in the car together, and he sat like this. And I was like, dude, I'm just trying to be honest with you. Yes, you have a pride issue, but guess what we all do? It's hard to point fingers. When you point finger this way, guess what? There's three just going, hey, guess what? Don't forget you. Don't forget you. And that's the issue. What we find is the fact that this uh, focus, uh, it, this makes me think of the Pharisees, Okay. The Pharisees, what happens? This is an issue with the people of Jesus' time. This is a people that he's going to address in Matthew 23. Listen to what he says. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What does that mean? What that means is you're so hung up on the insignificant details that you can't see the big picture. You ever heard the phrase, can't you miss the forest for the trees? If you walked up to a tree and all you did was just look at the bark and you counted how many ants are on it, man, look at that sap. Guess what? You miss the forest. Because you're so focused here. And see, an example of that in our current day is legalism. These are rules of men, okay? Rules of men. Modern example of this, which is being so focused on religious rules and conformity that the purpose of the church, which is to teach people how to listen and be obedient to the Spirit of God, gets missed. Because what happens, instead of God convicting people Instead of God bringing a standard into someone's life and convicting their heart and changing them in his time, what happens is church leadership takes their preferences and they put their convictions upon someone who's newly saved and in their time, they want to change them. There's a problem because that's completely contrary to what Scripture says. And what happens, the worst thing is that once they get accustomed to doing that, and they're so accustomed to simply trying to maintain the standards, not of the Bible, but their pastor and the church, they get comfortable in that. And then what happens, they get this pride in their conformity. And they start to take a measuring stick of that. And when people come through the door, they measure them out. How do you fit? Hmm. Well, we got to get you some new clothes. Yeah, that haircut. Mm, Got to fix that. Wow, that, those, uh, that, man. Right? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Listen, we've all been at low points in our life. Somebody's newly saved. Somebody doesn't know any different. Guess what, man? Our job's not to judge them. Our job is to love them. Because if you focus on the outside, you miss their heart. The whole thing is, man, if you get their heart, you get the outside too. That's what works. God works through the inside out. Joshua, or Jesus continues, verses 25 and 26. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice he's yelling this. That's an exclamation point. For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. He's obviously not talking about a cup. He's talking about people. 
You make the outside look good, but the problem is your heart is messed up. You're full of extortion and excess. 26, thou blind Pharisee. Why are they blind? Pride. Cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter. Notice this. Clean the inside, that the outside of them may be clean also. If you will focus your attention on the heart. See, God knows if he gets someone's heart and he cleanses that heart, that the body, the outside will soon follow. And what's beautiful about that is it becomes their conviction, not your conviction that you're placing on them. Because guess what? When you put a conviction on somebody that's not theirs, when they leave their house or when they leave the church, guess what? If you're not supposed to wear shorts, they may not wear them to church. But let me tell you, time to mow the grass. They're not putting on a pair of jeans. Silly little stuff like that. They're not in the Bible. We're jo- our job, we're called to follow the Lord, right. not to follow man. Amen. We follow the rules that God establishes for us, not what people tell us. So we need to know the truth. This is why coming to God, man, uh, God's so concerned with, with our issue because the fact is our pride can so many times stifle us. We realize the fact that when we come to God, we make sh- must need to make sure that our heart is right. Falling down before Him, not with a, with a false sense of pride not as a show but we come from him that we might hear from him and notice that the initial words that God's speaking to to Joshua they're they're hard but the cool thing is they're effective sometimes God just whacks you across the face with a two by four just wakes you up but what's cool about it you'll notice Joshua stops talking he ain't saying nothing more he's just listening He's not on his face. He's not pretending. He's standing up. And you know what? Someone who's willing to be quiet and hear and listen, that's the starting point to restoration. Ears to hear. And now God's going to confront the false narrative by sharing the truth of what's going on. Three little words. Israel hath sinned. Joshua, guess what? You're wrong. Israel hath Sin. You've been frantically looking for answers everywhere but with me. And the thing about, I think about this one. Joshua heard those words. Can you imagine how that warning would have come flooding back into his mind? The very last thing he heard from God. All of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. Isn't it amazing how comfortable we can become to ignoring God's truth when we're not listening to Him? If you're listening to your own voice, you're listening to your friends, you're not in the Word of God, it's real easy to disregard God's messages or God's warnings. It's very easy to forget them. The very things that at one time in our life were invaluable. Man, they were, they were something that we held on to. A truth, a promise from God. When we're walking with Him, it means all the world to us. But get out of the Word. Get out of church. Live in the world for a little while. And guess what? The very same thing doesn't mean so much anymore. And we find ourselves devaluing what God's warning us, warning us of, and we find ourselves in a mess. And only then do we have ears to hear. God, I've got myself in a pickle. Could you get me out? Could you just get me out of here? And then suddenly, we sit in church, and the truth that before would have run us like water off a duck's back, man, it lands, and it means so much, and it resonates in our heart because we finally stop talking, and we start listening. And that truth rushes in and it makes a difference in who we are. This is why time in the Word is important. Not to check a box, but to go to hear from God. To fellowship with the Father. You want to hear from God? He's given you His Word. Everything He wants you to know. 
Soup to nuts, man. From the beginning of human time all the way into infinity. Is that a word? Infinity? No, infinity, sorry. English language, still learning. But what we need to do is make the word of God a part of who we are. Listen to this in Psalm 119. I'm almost done. Psalm 119, verses 10 through 16. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That word will work like a barrier. It'll work like, like guardrails for me. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. Lord, help me learn. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies. This is my joy as much as in all riches. I value it. I value what you're saying. I remember it. I make it a part of who I am. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. But you see, that's just what Joshua has done. He's forgotten God's word. The last thing he told him was to be careful of the accursed thing. And when it happens, he doesn't have a clue what's happening. He stopped listening to the Lord. He stopped functioning by faith, and he allowed his fears to control him. He has forgotten God's word. And listen, when we don't allow God's word to be our foundation, to be our, to be our, our, our strength, what do we do? We fall back on human reasoning. We fall back on our emotions. We fall back, and before you know it, in a very short period of time, our fears are in the driver's seat. And we're, we're heading who knows where. We're like Joshua, confounded and overwhelmed in the moment. But you see what's amazing? The love of God. Remember, he inter- He's intervening. He's helping the Israelites. Because you know what God knows about the Israelites? They're stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. You know who else is stiff-necked? Us. Because in Scripture, the Israelite is a picture of the individual believer. So all the issues you have with them, if you look within yourself, you'll find them. God's Love for them is displayed in the fact that he's willing to intervene. Displaying mercy, long-suffering, and incredible love. And because of that love he has for us, he offers grace and a path to restoration. That's what this is all about. Why is God intervening? To get them on the right track. Joshua's starting down the road to restoration. Praise God. As the Lord has first revealed his false humility and confronted his false narrative. Listen, he doesn't do this to make Joshua feel bad about his failure. It's not about running him down. No, what's God doing? It's not about punishing him even. It's about helping him. See, God always does what he does for our good and for his glory. Always. Does that mean it's a pleasurable experience? No. Because you know what? A stiff-necked horse, when it's fighting you and you're trying to pull it, you know what sometimes you got to do? Come on, you need to listen. Listen. It takes a little bit of scourging. It takes a little bit of redirecting. It takes sometimes some pain in order to make that shift. And God knows that about humanity. And I want you to hear as He deals, He's going he's to give us a, in Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11, God's going to contrast the way He corrects His children with the way earthly fathers correct their children. Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Okay? Our fathers... They do it for themselves, but he, speaking of God, but he for our profit. God's working through it, that we might be the partakers of his holiness. He's trying to shape us through this. Now, verse number 11, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, 
it yieldeth, notice this, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God shapes us unto them which are exercised thereby. And can I tell you right now, Joshua and the Israelites are being exercised thereby. God has allowed adversity in their lives to reach them and teach them. That's what he's doing. His love many times is displayed through what he allows us to endure. Sometimes the adversity you're going through is the display of God's love. Because he knows if we continue on the path we're on, it's a road to destruction. How many of us can look back in our lives and find times in our life where God allowed something that redirected us? Oh my goodness. I can look back to some of the most painful experiences of my life where I almost felt like just giving up, being suicidal, so upset, so broken. But see, it's a perspective, a heavenly perspective that allows us to go, you know what, I don't understand what's going on right now. But I don't have to. Because my father loves me. And he's allowing what this is, whatever this is, and however long it's going to go. He's got a purpose for this. So instead of complaining and fighting it, I'm going to try to embrace it and say, God, what is it you need me to do? What can I learn? Help me to cast my care upon you, for you careth for me. I can lean on your strength to get through this. Because on the other side, remember Joshua's story? He learned from his failure, and he went forward. And the question is this, will we learn from our failures? Will we go forward? Listen, when adversity comes, and I'm just going to tell you right now, it's coming. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow, but adversity is coming. Listen, will we allow our adversity to strengthen our faith as we depend upon Him? Or will we let our fears get the best of us? Time will tell. We know what to do. The question is, will we do it? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for this time you've given us in your word. And Lord, as we prepare to, to honor you with the Lord's Supper, God, I do pray that you'll help us to deal with our hearts. Help us, Lord, to realize this is not about us. It's about you. God, for those that are here today, potentially, and you might say, I don't know where I stand with God. Listen, we're all in the same fight. If you're a Christian today, you're walking with God, then you're in a battle. You're in a fight. But God's with you. He's faithful. But can I tell you this? If you don't know Christ, 20 years ago, someone asked me if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven when I die. And I said, I hope so. I hope so. I didn't never, I'd never been in church my entire life. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I wasn't raised around Christians. I was raised in a secular home, and that's all I knew. God to me was just some big guy with a white beard and a hammer, wanting to judge everybody. But see, what I realized the fact that night was somebody said, you know what? No, no, no. God is a God of love and has a purpose, purpose for your life. And the things you've been through, he can heal you, strengthen you, and use your life like you could not possibly dream. And if you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with him. I don't know if I'm saved. God does love you more than you can possibly imagine. And can I tell you this? If you feel him drawing you, all you need to do is give in. The Bible, the Lord ta- the Bible talks about the Father draws us to repentance. If you know you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're online watching this. You don't know I have a relationship with Christ, but you want to have one. 
I can just tell you that right now. He, is, he has done the job. He has done the work on the cross. And right now, lovingly, He's reaching out to you. And if you receive Him by faith, He will save you today. It's not a matter of a magic prayer or any kind of a ceremony. This is not a religious thing. This is a personal thing between you and Him. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, you know you're lost and you know where you want to receive Him. He's ready, willing, and able to receive you right now. All you have to do is call out to Him. I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, it's not the words. God's listening to our heart. If you want to receive Him, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I know that I've disappointed my family, myself, and you. I want to turn from that life. I trust and believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and that you rose on the third day, proving you were God. I'm asking you right now, in the best way I know how, to come into my life, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. By faith, I put my trust in you. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.